wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hey, good morning. It is a Wednesday morning and I have another amazing podcast for you today. And the reason it is so amazing is because I have to tell you this story. Um, any of you that are podcast um, just, you know, freaks like I am, you have probably seen this book being discussed now, if you've watched Mormon stories, if you've watched Mormonism Live, if you've watched Backyard Professor, uh, I'll have to ask where else he's been. But he's been on a lot of podcasts and I've listened to all of them. They're just absolutely fascinating. So um, this couple of months ago, well, I guess it was September in September, um, we went down to St. George, Utah to go to a kind of a a um, what would you call it? Like a, we were, we were, I hate to use the word celebrating, but recognizing the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And we were honored to have, uh, we went as a group and it was organized by Rebe Rebecca Biblioteca and her partner Landon Brophy when they, they have a podcast called Mormonish. And they brought down Barbara Brown, Barbara Brown, there's another name. Anyway. Uh, she and Richard Turley have just written a another book about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And so Barbara and Richard were going to were going to be there to at the monuments and the recognition of the event that happened. Um, <clears throat> Richard got uh, COVID. And so Barbara, but Barbara came and she's a, a really busy person. So I just love the fact that she took time out of her schedule to meet with this group of people. But anyway, so that's why we went down to St. George. And so we all met, many of us had not met. We just, it was organized by Rebecca and Landon and um, anybody that wanted to come was invited to come. And so we were meeting these wonderful people that we had never met before. And I'm standing there and I'm going, man, that guy looks familiar. I know I've seen him before, but I don't know where. And then he introduced himself and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Charles Harrell. And I was like, yes, I know I recognized him because of the many podcasts that he's been on talking about his book. Well, standing next to Charles was his beautiful wife, Yvonne. And we ended up over at their home, one of their homes in St. George. And everybody that was there, we all got together, met at their home, uh, ordered pizza. It was, I hate to say this, but 
it was one of the best times I've had in probably the last five or six years. I mean, with COVID and then resi- you know, resigning from my membership from the church, um, we had only been in Arizona for about three years before I resigned my membership and then with COVID and everything. So um, it's very kind of isolating. And so just to sit around this kitchen table and talk with these like-minded people who had all watched the same podcast that you've watched. They've read the same books that you've read. And so we had all of this, all of these things in common. It was so fun. So, but one of the things that was fun about it was Charles and Yvonne actually talked about the process of Charles writing his book, This Is My Doctrine. And I thought, you know, so many times you've got these amazing men that have done amazing things behind now. And specifically, I'm talking about people in my demographic who were raised in the Ezra Taft Benson, Spencer W. Kimball, David O. McKay era, where we really knew our roles as women. We knew what our our goal and our destination and our purpose was. We were told you are a helpmate to your husband. You are a mother. You will stay home. You will mother your children. You will support your husband. You will take care of the home. In fact, you'll take care of everything because your husband has two jobs. One of them is to provide for the family. and The other one is to serve in his priesthood capacity in some area. That's all. That's the only two jobs he has. You're going to do everything else and you're going to do it happily, doggone it. And so Yvonne and I both grew up in that. And so there was never any question as where we would be. So we're supporting our husbands in all the things that they're doing. And so it was so interesting to hear them talk about what he's doing, what she's doing, and then how it all came together. And Yvonne and Charles are an amazing couple. And I just wanted to um, kind of introduce you. So this is Yvonne and and Charles. And I love that they're active. They're active seniors. All right. We'll talk about this more. And um, they are, as I said, they have uh, homes in Utah, homes in uh, various parts of Utah, and they take advantage of where they're at. They take advantage of the beautiful scenery, hiking, biking, um, kayaking. Utah is amazing. It really is like when you go to other parts of the world, you could so easily say, oh yeah, we have that in Utah. It's an amazing place to live besides the church. Um, So Yvonne um, and Charles were tripping along and we'll get into it a little bit more. They're tripping along doing their life as, as prescribed. And, uh, and, uh, And Charles begins to write this book. And now he, at the time, was a professor at BYU. And that's what we're going to talk about. All right. Let me use that as my introduction. Let me bring Yvonne and Charles in. And there you are. Let me get rid of that. There we are. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Renee. Thanks for having us on. Oh, my gosh. It's such a pleasure for me. And I love that you took some time out of your schedule to to talk with me today. And as I mentioned, I, you know, everyone, I love Charles. You'll have to recap. Um, It wasn't Mike. Who was the gentleman that was sitting at the end of the table? Very learned, very, very. I mean, this is, he's one of these guys that when he reads something, it's, it's filed and contained. 
and we're talking and all of a sudden he goes, you're who you wrote what? <laughs> and he was like starstruck. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was cute. He was such a sweet man. And, and he was the one, wasn't he the one that bought a car <laughs> so he could drive down from Idaho and attend this field trip that Rebecca organized and, and be amongst, like you said, like, like-minded people. He was, he was a very sweet guy. And oh, yeah, it was I, didn't funny. Know that. I didn't know that part. It was yeah. beautiful. It was really fun, but that's what it's like when you kind of get in the ex Mormon world and you do start introducing yourself to uh, literature, different books, you know, things that weren't necessarily um, prescribed or read in Sunday school. And you, you, you acquaint yourself with all of these people and it's fun when you meet the people in real life. Cause there is a little bit of a fan fan thing going on there fangirl thing fanboy thing anyway so charles tell give a short brief introduction to your kind of trajectory of uh, a young man um going on a mission uh getting your education and where that education uh took you as far as profession goes okay well briefly i grew up in indiana similar to you renee um in I guess, were you in Indiana or no. part of No, the, just south of Chicago. South of Chicago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Illinois. In Illinois. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, I grew up, uh, my family joined the church when I was five years old. So I was effectively raised in the church, uh, went out to BYU, did the traditional thing, served a mission after one year uh, of school, um, served a mission to Mexico. And I always had a fascination with uh, church teachings and especially church doctrine because I was curious why uh, growing up, I was basically the only one in my high school that was LDS. And I was curious to know why our beliefs were different and what made them different. Um, so when I got out to BYU, I just devoured all the church books I could to understand what the church teachings, church doctrine was. When I returned from the mission field, um, I continued learning as much of the church doctrine as I could, along with getting my degree and along with finding this wonderful woman here that uh, we finally <laughs> we found each other isn't that how it really works yeah yeah, yeah. you wanted to marry me right that's how yes, this works right. oh, i did sure propose right. to him i did propose to him <laughs> oh my gosh yvonne we have so much in common <laughs> yeah uh so let's see i we we went when we graduated from BYU, I went out and worked in Detroit, Michigan for four years Ooh. for Ford Motor Company oh. as an engineer um, and continued my uh, search for understanding, you know, church doctrine, LDS doctrine. I taught actually uh, institute out there part time while I was in Detroit. University of Michigan. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing that happened was, you know, I went through all the, I, I wanted to do a very, you know, I, I had an engineering mind. So I wanted to get in and dissect the doctrine. So I read everything, you know, all through the history of the church, journal of discourses, 
everything the prophets have ever said about anything. Uh, and I sort of laid it all out and I looked at it and I realized there's a lot of inconsistency here in the teachings. And then I started looking at it historically, chronologically, as it was presented. And I realized there is a history here to the doctrine. There's a storyline about how this doctrine developed. And in the early 1980s, I wrote an article that was later published in BYU Studies on the development of the doctrine of pre-existence, because that was one of the most distinctive LDS doctrines, right? And what my studies have led me to discover was that this doctrine didn't just come out, you know, full-blown the way that we understand it today. And in fact, initially, it was very different from the way that we believe it today. Uh, there was an idea of these spirits being stored in a storehouse, you know, and that God created these spirits. Or actually, the scriptures say that Christ created these spirits. Um, so, you know, you start to read scriptures for what they actually say and take them at face value rather than imposing, you know, your current beliefs onto the scriptures. And when you do that, you start to see how these doctrines develop and, and unfold. So with that as a start, I thought to myself that I'll bet all the other doctrines of the church developed in a similar fashion. And sure enough, as I got into exploring all of the doctrines, uh, the primary doctrines of the church, I discovered that they also had a history that was very fascinating. And that was the basically the nucleus for the book that I wrote. Let me unmute myself. That That's amazing. And I, and I love that you mentioned, you know, your engineer brain, because um, I have a son-in-law that's an engineer and it is very, and my daughter is very creative. Um, her degree, they both graduated from university of Utah and hers was in social work and, um, and, you know, literature and um, like she was, she'll write your essays, you do my math. You know, that's where their, their brains are different. And uh, it, it, like you, Yvonne, she, English and stories and literature, that's her thing. And he is logical, literally logical, almost to a fault. It's hilarious sometimes. Um, but <laughs> that's the joy of the engineering is the focus and the uh, the ability to look at things logically, not emotionally, not with feeling. And um, and I love that you are a very um, level person, though, and you didn't go into it with anger or anything like that. You went into it literally as um, I'm going to chronologically check this out doctrinally and see how these things match up. And um, so, and you were a professor at BYU. So, and you were in the um, technology department. You were not in history or church history or scriptural or anything like that. So you're, you're kind of doing your technology things. So you weren't a threat. You weren't perceived as a threat because that wasn't who you, you know, what you were teaching or anything like that. So um, when you decided to start putting your studies into an actual manuscript, uh, was this like after work, before work, I'm going to sit down at my typewriter because we probably used typewriters back in those days, right? I don't know. Were you on a computer at this point? 
that was computer. Yeah, you were on a computer. All right. And yeah, because the book was published in 2011. Right. Uh, but that was the manuscript had actually been finished before that, though, right? Like four yeah. years before that. I finished it in 2005, ready, yeah. it's ready to be published then. Yeah. But um, I presented it to my dean and the uh, academic vice president at BYU because I felt like, you know, in full disclosure, I wanted them to be aware of what I was going to publish. Right. As you mentioned, this is not a threatening book. I mean, I'm not challenging anything. I'm just reporting. Here is the history of how these doctrines have been taught right. over time. Right. Uh, but the uh, the academic vice president called me in, uh, had a big meeting with them, and they said, you know, if you publish this, this is going to lead the students at BYU to fall away. And we can't have parents calling in asking, you know, what's going on to my kids here at BYU. Right. So they advised that I should go visit with the religion department. Oh. They would <laughs> all the things that I was saying because they would be able to set me straight. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Get the correct story. <laughs> yeah. In other words, the church approved the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of how it all went down. So, uh, and then my dean said, told me flat out, if you publish this, you won't be able to stay at BYU. Oh. So I sat on it for about five more years and finally uh, in 2010 decided to go ahead and publish it anyway. I was going to retire in another five years. And um, so I wasn't that concerned. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I felt like this was a story that needed to be told. Right. This was the kind of book I wish I would have had yeah. up because I had all these questions about, you know, why are these teachings this way? And why doesn't it agree with, you know, this passage in the Bible? And right. so, right. so I decided to go ahead and publish it anyway. And you were able to get it published and then retire. There wasn't any, any kind of action in between. I mean, you weren't threatened with... After I published it, uh, there was complete silence from the dean, from the school administration. Um, I don't know what the full reason was behind that. I, I imagine they probably thought this would only stir more trouble. Oh, if they, if they were to... If they were yeah. to bring out and call Some, attention to it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to guess that this wasn't sold at, at Deseret Book. I'm just Actually, guessing. It was. It was? I yes. love it. They carried it on their shelf. Um, and I found out later that there was uh, an individual who was one of the um, book procurement people that worked for Deseret Book right. who went to bat to get that book on the shelves at Deseret Book. Well, you know, I mean, here's the thing. If they can carry the Twilight series they should be able to carry this book, right? I mean, if they can carry uh, Tim Ballard's book yes. with, with absolutely zero historical truth in it. I mean, I wish people understood that more. I remember when the Twilight series came out and walking into Deseret Book and seeing it and going, it 
this, should this be on, in a Christian bookstore? And not that I ever thought it was anti-Christian. I, I never went along with that whole witches and magic and stuff that, you know, all of, I, and then there were some evangelical people that were like, this is evil, this is satanic and stuff like that. And I know that there wasn't any of that, but still I thought maybe, I don't know. I mean, when I go into desert, I always tell my husband um, and Charles, I, I appreciate so much how, you know, you just really, um, took my husband, you know, my husband is, is still a member of the church, very active. In fact, I believe he just left to go to the temple. Well, um, so, yeah, sure. I will. I will. <laughs> so he's a very active member of the church. And, um, and where was I going with that? Oh, I said to him, you, you understand that visiting Deseret book is not the last part of the temple ceremony. You don't go celestial room, get dressed, go to Deseret book. That's not required you know, attendance because that it's always right next to the temple. So that's what mm. people do. When you walk into the bookstore, you always see people that have just left the temple and they got to stop and make sure they, you know, picked up all the propaganda that they need. So anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no lightning involved <laughs> allowed in this room <laughs> anyway. So um, that's fascinating. Well, Charles, thank you so much for sharing. And we're going to kick you out of the room now. And we're going to talk about what Yvonne was doing while yeah. you were doing all of this fabulous yeah. stuff. <laughs> let me let me put in one word for her. She was Please. an incredible support and she didn't need to. She probably would never do it again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> See, so at, a right. certain, yeah, at a certain age, Charles, our brain completely develops and we start going, what the heck is this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Oh, my gosh. So, Yvonne, I love. OK, as you mentioned, you guys met in your senior year at BYU. And you were an English major, which is a perfect, just exactly what I described. So you're more of a, you know, probably even more of a visual person. You read, you're visualizing the story, you're feeling the emotion of the story. And right, I mean, am I, no, not correct. What do you think? No, I'm just saying, so you froze a little bit and Charlie just oh, popped on his internet. And I'm okay. saying, maybe you shouldn't get on the internet. While oh, we're doing oh. This. You're messing up my broadband. Okay. You're, yeah. You're messing up. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So, so as an English major, um, what was it that made you decide to go into that field? English. English? Mm -hmm. um, probably default. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I hate to read, but because, because, all the no, classes I, were full. No. Always, always loved to read. Always, always did well in English, right? Mm -hmm. So I was the English Sterling Scholar. That's what they do here in 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 your high school. You have oh. nominees to people in Utah are familiar with that program. So did back you have to submit an essay? Yeah, you have to. You have Sterling Scholars. It's a it's a huge process. We won't go into that, but oh. yeah, you had to submit some of your writing. Like they had an art Sterling Scholar and a science oh, Sterling. Okay. You know, all genres, a musical Sterling Scholar, okay. that kind of thing. Okay. I so see. yeah, I mean, I always excelled in English, but I wanted to major in music. That's what I wanted oh. to go into. But um, when I got down to BYU, um, I just, you know, you have to be like, your skill level has to be so high to major in music. And so I was disabused of that. My at the very beginning, I, I didn't play piano well enough. You have to have, you know, in addition to any instrument or whatever, I was, I was vocal. I was yeah. going to be vocal performance. Um, yeah. So no. So English was the next thing. That, so that's that's amazing that you said that because I have heard that from so many people when you are in, now you grew up in Utah though, is that correct? In Ogden, Ogden, Utah. Yeah. 
So uh, you may have been exposed to a little bit more, but we had neighbors that moved uh, near us when we lived in Oregon. And we, I love, they would keep their windows open. You can do that in Oregon. Can't do that in Arizona. Um, and she would be playing the piano and you could hear it, you know, as, as you're walking through the neighborhood. And I just, I just remember being so impressed with her skill. And then she went to BYU to, to audition for a musical um, scholarship. And they were like, no. Yeah. I mean, she was nothing compared to some of the oh, talent. Yeah, it, it's a level, even back in my day, right? But I'm yeah. sure it's it's much, much more co competitive now. They are they are the tops. They really yeah. are. They have so much talent. And, and I, that's part of something that the church is good at, yes. is having, um, you know, I guess promoting that or, or just the culture of it. Yes. Uh, so many kids play instruments fantastically. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's that is one of the things that I really do love about the church is, you know, I always say my kids were giving talks in front of people at three years old. Good speakers. Right? Yeah. And I mean, what that trains them and um, the skill and, and then even the mission field, what the mission fields sure. do for people, Absolutely. these young men. You know, I remember listening to Dan McClellan talk about what it did, how it taught him how to learn, how to study, how to focus. Uh, there's so many great things mm -hmm. about the gospel. I just wish there wasn't um, some of the um, background stuff that that um, is woven into theology. But regardless, that's beside the point. OK, so you're at BYU. You're on an English uh, program mm -hmm. and you meet Charles. In at, our ward, in in, our, he was in, in our your ward. Branch, yeah. He was the elders quorum president. And back in the day. You know, that meant that they were the most eligible bachelor. <laughs> so, you know, the, and, and, and actually, you were like, and yes. <laughs> what attracted me to him? Um, I mean, yeah, well, that was the thing that impressed me about right. him was, was his knowledge of the gospel was so encyclopedic. And, you know, I was, I was in the honors program. I'm a, yeah. I'm a nerd. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a student. I was, yeah. I was being a student and, right. He, uh, whenever, whenever we debate amongst ourselves, you know, my other freshman class or the people that I, uh, we, we always talked about gospel principles and, you know, how, do, what's this, what this, and I would ask Charlie and he always knew the answer. Oh it's like he had gosh. the answer to everything and he, right. he, or, and he wouldn't like say, I have decided this. He'd say, well, this president and this prophet and this, uh. he knew everything about it. And I'm like, wow, this guy, and he, but he, but he, you he is extremely almost modest to a fault. And yeah, yeah. And he never asserts himself and he never, um, you know, if, if you're in a conversation with him, you have to really um, work to get him to, to talk, yeah, to talk about himself and his, yeah. To, to, to even his opinions. He's right. not someone who, you know, I, I'm the more, I'm the much more assertive and outgoing person that's just his temperament but yeah. there's been many times when I want to kick him under the table and say say something Chuck but yeah yeah <laughs> that's amazing so I love that so you kind of started dating um and then and so that was when that was like in the summer in 1975 so we we started dating um he in the fall really of 75 got engaged in November when I asked him to marry me and then <laughs> And You're then, like, where's this going, Charles? Like, get your get your engineer brain out and see where this connects. You know, right? the, the exact words were, Charlie says to me, "I'd never ask you to marry me," and I'm like, "What?" You know, because <laughs> I was really. He said, 
I wouldn't ask you because I, I wouldn't know what I, you know, I, I, so basically like a George McFly thing, I can't stand the rejection. You know, oh. I couldn't stand it if you wouldn't say yes. If you, if well, I couldn't stand anyway. And I said, yeah. well, I would say, yes, I'll marry you. I, I love you. You know, I just professed all these yeah. feelings yeah. of love for him. And, and he, then he said something like, so when do you want to get married? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> Are you asking me to marry you? And he's and at this point, you know, we were we were so righteous. We had never even kissed. You know, we oh never had a kiss. I'm not kidding. And oh um, gosh. so so nobody's I, doing I was, was gonna be, on the beach. I was going to be do my student teaching. I'd been assigned oh. uh, for English. I got a teaching degree, and um, and it was the next semester. The you know the January to April, and but Charlie said. I don't believe in long engagements. We, we're not going to wait that long. So I had, and it because I was going to be teaching in Duchesne at the, oh. at the Native Indigenous American schools out there in Duchesne. Oh. And, um, so they, we changed. I ended up doing my student teaching at Orm High, but we got married December 30th. Oh and, uh, and then we both graduated in April of 76. And in November of 1976, our first child was born. So we didn't, we didn't really know each other. And the other thing is we got married. I hadn't met either of his parents. Oh my the only, gosh. the only, he had one brother that came to our wedding, which was in Ogden and his other three brothers, no, his other two brothers. Cause it, they were, so I was four girls growing up and he was four boys. In the no, family. that's amazing. Brothers, yeah. So we knew nothing about the other, the opposite sex kind of thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, true. Yeah, I mean, my dad died when I was ten, and then my mother remarried when I was sixteen. And, and anyway, long story. Tell that, tell that funny little story. I love that no. little story about your no. wedding because it's yeah. so, so cliche. So, so when I told my mom in November, she had never, she hadn't met Charles. They're in Ogden. There, they immediately came down. She and my stepfather to meet him at a anyway. And but I said, Mom, I'm engaged, and she said. Oh, what next? Because she had just found out that at 45, she was oh. pregnant. And it was a surprise, you know, menopausal. I don't think yeah. I can get pregnant thing. Oh. And so at my wedding, she was three months pregnant. And so I said, I was the cliche. What's the difference between a Catholic wedding and a Mormon wedding? In the Catholic wedding, the bride is pregnant. In the Mormon wedding, the mother of the bride is pregnant. So... <laughs> So it was that oh, that's so true. You know, what's funny. Um, I, I, I wondered, you'll have to tell me if um, uh, Charles and my husband are the same. Um, we got married three weeks after he got home from his mission because I was in the service and I only could take a 30 day leave. So I wrote him, you know, we would write back and forth and I wrote him and I said, here's the deal. I can take a 30 day leave and I will come home and we can start dating again. Um, or we could get married and then you could come back to Japan with me. And he's like, okay. And that was the engagement. That was my big proposal. I keep saying you owe me a proposal and a diamond, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, I mean, so I get such a kick out of these over the top engagements. And even my, even my daughter, 
her her husband the engineer was the same way i was like i don't, I don't know how to i don't know what i don't know what this way you know and she's like oh geez let's just get married you know <laughs> it's so funny but um yeah that that's anyway on our honeymoon because we were living in the pacific northwest and so we had to drive out to salt lake to get married and so we spent our honeymoon visiting the parents of his mission companions mm. because they were still on their missions, but he, you know, so we, that's what we visited Mark Benson because that was his mission president. We visited the Paulson family because that was his, one of his favorite companions. That's what we did. In fact, here's a joke for you guys. Um, we are leaving the temple. We've just gotten married. We're leaving the temple. We stop off at a phone booth, so that he can call President Benson, Mark Benson, his mission president, and ask if we can come by and see them tomorrow. We got married on a Friday. Could we come by and see you on Saturday? He comes back to the car and he goes, we're going to go see President Benson at nine o'clock Saturday morning. And I was like, do you not know what this whole honeymoon thing is all it's about? It's wedding night, right? No. So he had to call President Benson back and say, oh, or maybe could we come in the afternoon? <laughs> that's a great one yeah it's it's so romantic anyway so yes yeah, but that's that's there that is where their faith and their obedience i mean this guy was basically still on his mission and like you say their their faith uh, is just right up there and so like you say you meet you meet charles he's the elders quorum president my husband was immediately put in the branch presidency and that's just where and this is why we love them so much because they're they're such good, hardworking people, but there's yes. always a downside, you know, anyway. Yeah. So you're, you get married and you started your teaching, right? And he's doing No, his... we graduated. So we graduated uh, in, in April and he immediately got a job for, with Ford Motor Company. So we oh, drove, oh, so you're not working. Drove to, we drove to, to Michigan right away and oh. started our married life. You know, had, I had Emily, my first daughter, she was born in Ann Arbor. Um, yeah. And the thing is, I always thought, so I'm, I come from a single parent. My mom worked, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and um, anyway, I, I always thought I would work, but Charlie had all of these quotes from the brethren about how even when there aren't children in the home, a woman's place is not in the marketplace. Right. It is in the home. Right. And I thought, oh, Okay. You know, but it, it wasn't, a, I, I, I was very busy, Renee, because yeah. we were in the mission field yes. and I had five church jobs, a stake job and four in the ward. You know, I was in yeah. the stake primary. I mean, it just went on and on and yeah. in the primary and a visiting teacher. And um, what was, I was a, some calling in the Relief Society, I forget, the one that did the visiting teaching coordinator. I was visiting yeah. coordinator in the Relief Society. Anyway. But shortly after we, we moved, you know, um, uh, Charlie, of course, was put in as the elders quorum president, you know, back there. Yeah. I was in the Relief Society presidency. And then in, even in those four years, he was in the bishopric as we're having this small family and trying to, you know. Right. I can't and remember. Your, your daughter was born in 76. My son was born in 76. And then how close are your five kids? They're 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 two. You know, the first were 17 months. Yep my two daughters. And then I had two sons, you know, two years apart. And then for the last Polly, my last one was four years after, because the reason probably for that is that Charlie got his PhD from a university in Denmark in uh, Copenhagen. And we moved to Denmark for a year with four, four little kids. 
And I said, I'm not going to have a kid over there. Yeah. So I did birth control for the first time. Yeah. yeah. We're supposed to do birth yeah. control. Yeah. Yeah. No family. The Lord is, should plan your family. Yeah. And um, after um, we got back, then my mother died of cancer. And I, I just thought, I can't have any more kids. You know, we got back yeah. and we had Polly number five. And she died when Polly was a year old. And I immediately went in and had my tubes tied. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I felt like the merchant of death. Yeah. <laughs> I did. No, that, that's exactly right. Our son was born, you know, in 76 and our last one was born in 85 mm -hmm. and he was nine. Very close. Yeah. yeah. And I remember just going, I can't do this anymore. And I really feel as though, you know, this is the thing about uh, that people don't understand about uh, when you leave the church, you don't leave your body, you leave the church, right? So I felt very inspired, very, very directed that this was going to be our last. We were not going to have any more children. Yeah. And so I said to my husband, you should get a vasectomy because I had my children naturally, right? No, no, no drugs at all. Why on earth would I go into surgery when I'm, you know, having these babies naturally? So I said, you should have a vasectomy. That man ran to get the handbook so fast. He had that handbook right there, right there. It says, you cannot be permanently sterilized, especially the men, you know, and I, and I was like, wow, are you planning on marrying someone else? Cause I'm telling you right now, I'm not having any more. And then we ended up having an emergency cesarean. And I said to the doctor, I'm having my tubes tied while you're yeah. in there. While you're in there. Yeah. yeah. So I same thing. I did not say that. I was, I always felt kind of, you know, semi resentful that he that Charlie didn't volunteer to have right me because it's such a my my brother-in-law did that's yeah married to my he's a, he's a doctor and he's married to my youngest sister and he had a vasectomy because he he had four kids and he's like I can't handle anymore but yeah. I didn't know that it, the handbook said you well in 85 it did I don't know if it what it says now well yeah know? I mean that's when that's when we were going through yeah. my, my, my I, was 87. Yeah. I think now it says something like it's up to the couple um, yeah, but sure. I think they still kind of, they don't really like any kind of permanent sterilization. Um, and I do think it is, and I don't, I, I think they couldn't care less what the women do, but I really think in, for men, it's like in case, you know, we, this is my own, my own, <laughs> my own opinion, just in case we bring that polygamy thing back. Yeah. You guys need to still be, you know, procreating at 73 or whatever, well, you know, yeah, well, they still, they want to raise up a righteous seed. So that makes sense. You know, yeah, if the yeah. woman's womb is done. There's always more, you know, yeah, yeah. but you got to keep that seed going. That's right. So, so it's, so such parallel lives. So yeah. he is a, a very much exactly like, so you're a stay at home mom. I'm a stay at home mom. And, and I have to tell you, and I think you would, you would agree I did not resent it one bit. I loved my life. I loved my babies. I loved having babies. I loved raising my babies. I remember actually calling him at work one day when our youngest, um, our second one hadn't even been born yet. And I just was watching him stand by the patio door, this little, you know, one-year-old. And I just remember being so grateful that I could be there for him 24 seven, you know, I loved the, that. And I loved that my husband went to work at six in the morning and got home at six o'clock at night. And so I had all day to take him and go do things we needed to do and go to the zoo. And it was fat. I love the role that I 
had wanted, I'd always wanted to have babies. I mean, that was my whole thing. I was the only girl in a small family. I have an older brother that's three years older, a younger brother that's a half brother from my mom's second marriage that's eight years younger. And I just always loved babies. So there was no no um, problem with that role that I was given. Um, and it sounds as though you were like that too. Charles is doing his thing. I loved being a mother. That's, yeah, I loved my, I thought, I really still, I my kids were wonderful children. I felt like yeah. they were amazing in every way. Right. But, um, you know, anyway, but I, yeah. I did resent at the time, but I, you know, I stuffed it down. The yeah. fact that, you know, the church touts this, family you know families everything but we were um for most of those all of our children's lives we were both so heavily yes burdened with church callings that like i had a list of, of things that i wrote that you know if i what i would do if i to do it over yes do it over again and uh i said uh one of the number two one was say no to callings but, but we were taught so heavily that you that this is a calling from the Lord and you never say no to exactly. it. And so, you know, being in four Relief Society presidents and ha so many, I was a young women's president and in many young women's presidencies, stake young women president. Those came first, you right. know, and Charlie was, the, um, when we had our fourth child, we moved to, that's when he got hired at BYU was with number four. Mm. And and we moved down to Provo, we're renting, and he was immediately called into a branch presidency at the MTC. And I have four little kids, and I, I, I can't take him to the MTC. Great. And so we had, we're in the rental situation, and we still have callings. And then we built a home in Orem and moved in, and he was... People thought I was a, a widow or divorcee with four little kids. Yeah. He's not. He's not there. Right. Then he was. Um, then he served as a bishop of that home ward, so he was there, but on the stand, you know, and not there at all on Sunday on Family Day and most days of the week. You yeah. know that was those. You know, you had your youth activities. You went to. You had. Your, it, it's. It's extremely. Anybody who's been a wife of a bishop knows yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah. So then after that, he was called back as being as a branch president at the MTC again. Right. And finishing that that term, one of his priesthood leaders said, you know, what kind of calling do you want? You know, do you, I can't remember what they said, but he said, right. hey, but I haven't ever seen my sons pass a sacrament. I haven't oh been in the ward. So I'd really like to be in the ward for a while. And so that's when. They, he, he ended up being like high priest group leader and right. I mean, right. Teacher. I can't remember. But yeah. Or that kind of thing where it's not that demanding of a job. So. I, you know what? And I think what exactly what you're saying, it's one thing to have one child and then you have two. And I was, you'll have, you sound like you're probably the, about the same age I was. I was in my mid third, late thirties. No, I was 32 when I had our sixth child yeah. and that is when I was overwhelmed Yeah, and exactly what you're saying, taking six kids to church by yourself, sitting in the pews by yourself. Um, I had exactly what you said. I, when we first got married and went back to Japan, he was put in the branch presidency. So he was sitting on the stand and I had someone come up to me and ask me to go out on a date. And I said, well, ask my husband <laughs> and let me know what he says, you know, but yeah, I mean, it was a single, uh, you were literally just doing all this stuff by yourself. And I, I do really think it's a combination of just 
adding upon adding upon adding upon where yeah. at some point you're like i i why am why am i doing this by myself i'm overwhelmed yeah and oh, i never yeah. i did i never said no to a calling yeah and when they when they called him to be the bishop in 1988 which is a long time ago but right my mother had just passed away <sighs> And Charlie got diabetes. Oh, no. Diabetes. Yeah. It's probably and, from stress, uh, too. Yes, it was from stress. And, yeah. and I said to the, you know, the state president issues the calling, and then you can go out and talk about it. And I said to him, if they were asking me, I would say no. I was really mad at God. I'm like, right. anyway, I won't get into that. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, I would have said no. But if you want to do it, I will support you. Oh. And um, he did, and it was it was a very good experience. I mean, I'm yeah. not. It was, no. it was wonderful. Yeah. Those things that you had that came with the calling of love for the people that you serve, exactly. the people that you serve, you do love exactly. And, and so there, there is a. I loved being of service. Right. I did love that. I was just. Right. It was just too much. You know, I mean, right. they just too much. Right. It, for, especially women to be. Yeah. And all women are. Not only all that, but they got to have a career too. They've got to work yeah. as well, or they don't feel good about themselves. So that's, yeah. I did have just, I did have 15 years after my kids were raised of working in the Orem Public Library. So oh. that was, that was fun for me. And yeah. I did enjoy that. But that, that, yeah. That is so, that's so important you say that because another, if we were going to make a list, and I, and I want you to go through your list too, because I love that. Um, of the, the great things that the church gave to us. Um, I'm glad that I raised my children in this, in this very structure. I love the structure that yeah. the church gave, you know, to raise children in. And I love the opportunity that it does give you to serve. I love yeah. that. Wonderful. And yeah, and it, it was, it really, you know, the opportunity, I remember being assigned um, some visiting teaching women that I thought and my companion, even the person who was put in as my companion, I thought I would never have gotten to know you if yeah. you were not assigned to me. Yes. And um, so it was, it, there's so many beautiful things about the system and yes. then there's, a, there's other things, but read some more well, on your list. Okay. Well, I just want to give a plug since we're on that for yeah. a podcast. I'm just listening to and yeah. listened to before he's, he's British. His name is Peter Bleakley. Oh, I love Peter. It's American Civil War and his latest episode, I think, not American, Mormon Civil War, I think. Yeah. It was, and his whole part, purpose in that is let's take, you know, let's rise up and right. take back our religion from these leaders who are, are, are arbitrarily forcing these things down and, and take all this wonderfulness because he saw wonderfulness in his wonderful congregations in, in Britain right. and England and yeah and like you say it wouldn't wouldn't it be great if we could reform yeah <laughs> you know what was funny I don't know last night I watched I love how YouTube just things pop up yeah. you know the algorithm that follows it and so this Osmond Osmond thing popped up on YouTube so I was watching it and so the the Oz all the Osmond brothers and, and Marie they're all talking about their story and their faith and I just thought if it was just about your faith, hmm. it's a beautiful thing to watch what the mom and the dad did and the music and the faith and the prayer and the devotion that they that brought into their family. It's not the idea that you had a faith in Jesus Christ or a faith in, in, in the strength of families. If it was just that, which I think we grew up thinking it was just that. 
if it was just that, then what a beautiful organization. But as you mentioned, and what Peter talks about, it's the theology that has gotten very wormy well, and it's the obedience. It's, it's the yeah. obedience to a leader. It's, it really is cult-like. Yeah. And, and, and I, I could not raise my children in it. Even, even all of the good, if I did it, I don't, I don't think I could. Not, not today. Yeah. I know it's interesting. Yeah, here, my number one thing on the list, and it's not in any particular uh, order of importance, but maybe because I'm a, I'm a English major, but I, I would say number one, don't read the scriptures over and over. Because <laughs> It's not, you know, there's so much more knowledge and goodness, yeah. and wonderful um, devotional literature yeah. out there. Yeah. It's insane. Um, it's a waste of time, I, in in my opinion, now to to have all the times that I read the Book of Mormon. Oh my gosh! And yeah, at time I'll tell you the story about how I got my Temple Recommend taken away because I. Oh, did tell me, tell me, tell me now. <laughs> So this was around the time that Charlie's book came out. It was 2011. <clears throat> oh. and at that point, after I, I read Charlie, I read his manuscript. He asked me to like do English corrections. And let me just, I'll put another plug in for his book. Anybody can read and understand his book. It's mm -hmm. not scholarly. It's not professorial. I don't think he's, he's very um, readable and it's yeah. very, um, Anyway, you, you know what you have to do? And this is what I've discovered about myself. This is what you have to do. I mean, because this book, you know, there, there's no pictures. It's not a picture book. No but what you have to do is the whole elephant story. Don't look at the whole elephant. Yeah. Just don't take, take a, a bite. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to do is, is yeah. and I love the backyard professor really taking it one chapter at a time. Yeah. In, instead of looking at it and going, oh, I never But it's not that. hard. It's not hard. But it's not. In a scholarly tone. And he he, no. he, he he writes very well. I mean, he's my husband, but I, I've read a lot of stuff. And he, right. he does well. There wasn't a lot of editing that needed to be done. Anyway. Right. Um, and because he himself self-edited it so meticulously. But what were we talking about? Oh, so, um, so I had... So in 2000 something, I can't remember when, I think Gordon B. Hinckley was the prophet and he challenged everybody to read the Book of Mormon one more time, you know, before Christmas or something. And so I thought, OK, I'm going to read the whole thing. Right. And and, you know, I finished it before Christmas and that was the last time I read it. And when I read it, I'm like, this is not his history. This cannot be history just from, uh, you know, just from reading other books it reads exactly like something a product of the the 19th century the 1800s right. to me it was like this i'm not i'm not so this is the first time i'm called in by a member of my bishopric because they're going to extend i'm a primary teacher I, I feel like i can do this i can teach four-year-olds yeah <laughs> sister harold we want you to be the choir director and i had been state choir director and ward choir director and everything and i said my first time I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I found out after that he had, that he had bet the, because they said, you're not going to get her to accept that. And I don't know how they knew that, but he said, I, I'll make you a bet. I can get her to accept it. Oh, so he put a lot of pressure on me. And, um, and finally, you know, he was going on about this and that. And finally I said, well, I don't even believe the book of Mormon is historically true. And okay. Yeah. So that, that terminated the discussion Stop. We go in to get our temple recommends renewed at the annual thing. And, and I was supposed to get, you know, they have the, the counselors can do it now, 
But the, he said, no, wait, you've got to see the bishop. So I got taken into the bishop and the bishop said, I understand you have some problems with the Book of Mormon. And he said, yeah, I just, I said, I just don't feel like it can, it's historically true. And he said, I'm going to have to take your recommended. <gasps> and I said, I said, Bishop, I feel like I'm worthy in every way. You know, I'd always um, honored my, I mean, I just really felt like, yeah, to be honest, you know, I had read Charlie's book and, and it had, you know, I did not have a testimony like I did before. I didn't, uh, but I felt like I knew my daughter, my youngest daughter was going to be engaged soon, probably and married. And I didn't feel uh, like I, I deserved to have the temple blessings removed. And so right. I, I argued with him for a bit, but no. Nope. <gasps> then Charlie went in after, and he read statements by, by Joseph Smith. Cause, and he's and he, knowing the temple, it doesn't say anywhere in the temple recommend questions that you have to believe the book of mormon literally to be historically yeah factual yeah about the book of mormon i don't think in the right right but anyway so a a year goes by they never called me and they never uh, found out you know i called to the bishop and said bishop should i take the sacrament should i keep wearing my garments (gasps) and he said yes to both but that was it he never called me in so finally, after about a year, and I think my testimony probably went, but I ne- I attended all the time. I was still the primary teacher. I went to every meeting. Um, we were still very busy. Charlie was still teaching. the, And <clears throat> the bishop called, I, I called him and wanted an appointment because I knew Polly was about to get engaged. She got married in 2012, my youngest, in the Draper Temple. Yeah, the Draper Temple. And... Um, Anyway, he called me in and said, all he said was, Sister Harold, have you resolved your problems with the Book of Mormon? And I said, yes. Um, <laughs> and then I, I did not feel guilty about, he didn't go, I can't remember if he went, through, I think he probably did read through the questions. And I just said yes, because, you know, I didn't feel like yeah. I needed to turn my worthiness over to this male, this, right? I didn't feel like it. I was a little bit worried about this in the state president interview. But they yeah. don't usually go over the questions. They just said, did you answer the, all the questions? I said, yes. And yeah. so I got it. So I went to the temple with Polly. I got to be there. And that's the last time I've ever I attended was 2012 that I ever I, I I love, I don't think people understand the power and the worthiness interview. And and I, I've explained this to my husband, I don't know how many times. And I said, as a male, white male priesthood holder, you don't understand as a woman how much control mm-hmm. my life is in the hands of these men who yeah. just, uh, you know, I don't like Sister Stillman. She's a little bit mouthy. She's, yeah. uh, you know, she, <laughs> yeah, she, she, uh, you know, she makes, yeah, <laughs> she makes comments in Relief Society that I've heard about. And I don't know if I like her. So I'm just not going to give her a temple recommend because yeah. that's how much power I have. And, you know, I, I mean, I compare well, I, have to, to, I have to defend my bishop really quickly saying I don't think he felt I think he genuinely felt probably that, oh, people who belong to our church need to have a testimony of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he felt completely he he was he's a he was he's a very he's a sweet man. Yes. Yes. Really, right. And, and a very loving man. Yeah. And, um, and and he doesn't really understand the intricacies of. No, but if, anything, I mean, but still, he has the power, right? He has the power, he has and the, power. the idea that you would have been prevented 
from attending your daughter's wedding yes. in the hands of a, I don't care how nice they are. My husband is one of these people that just thinks everybody's nice. And I said, please stop saying they're nice. You don't know these people. It's such a, a random thing. Oh, they're so nice. You don't do, how do you know? I mean, especially after this last weekend when we just got through listening to the awareness, a marathon that Maven did all these people, I'm sure people thought they were so nice, you know, um, but that that's frightening that your daughter's wedding, you're the mother of the bride. Yeah. And this man had the power to say, nope, sorry. Well, thank goodness I, I was at that point. You, know, you had the, yeah, you had the critical thinking skills to go. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that's the irony of the whole reason yeah. why I guess we're on here is that, that on top of his uh, very, so he didn't just teach at BYU. He also founded a, a software company in 1988, the year he became the bishop. And, you know, his health, his diabetes problems. I mean, he and and but he never gave up this this hobby, this theological hobby of doctrine. And I supported it 100 percent through our entire marriage because mm -hmm. I felt like that his book was furthering the kingdom. You know, it was going yes. <laughs> to and and it was it was a shock. When I read the book, you know, because I my first remark to him after the first chapter is like puzzled kind of like because it was probably more like in 2005 or 2006. It was it was yeah. before he put that that uh, manuscript, you know, it, before it got published. So it was right. Right, right back then. And I'm like, this isn't faith promote. <laughs> I said, and 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 it did it. It, you know, after. Because I, as I told you before, I all the stuff in the CES letter, I probably knew because I studied church history. I knew about the rock in the hat. I knew about right. the 14-year-old. I knew about Fanny Alger. I knew about, I mean, because I, I read a ton of church history. I, I loved it. It was enjoyable. Right. And um, I, it was interesting. But um, that was the thing, to read about the fact that, well, these doctrines and the, and the Book of Mormon thing, that was a big thing, too, that, that I, on my own, that I just like. This cannot be historical. What, what do you think, Yvonne? And I think that's, you know, when you talk about cognitive dissonance or you talk about how two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Um, what do you think it was when you heard about the rock and the hat or you read about it, you knew about it, but then you would go to church, you would go to gospel doctrine class. That's not how they, they you know, that's not what our primary children were taught. That's not what yeah. they were teaching. How did you reconcile those those beliefs it's not what i think the difference between you and and me is that i was raised in the church i have a uh -huh. cultural heritage from both sides way back and brainwashed from an early age i heard about the rock in the hat from my seminary teacher when i was uh -huh. a junior in high school i was inoculated against all of these i see Okay. I, and I, and I, and and a lot. And I mean, I I I was a student. I I knew I was a student of church history. So, you know, one of the things I I was always telling Charlie is nobody, you know, nobody knows your book isn't going to make an impact on a lot of people because people in the church, by and large, they don't know what their doctrine is. You know. Oh we give, yeah. We give them such um, sanitized and and yeah easy and you know only people only the the. The, not, the opposite of lazy learners are the ones that are leaving the church, the ones who really take it seriously and dig into it. And 
find out mm -hmm. about it. I mean, that's the crazy thing. I, I often think about my seminary teacher and if he stayed in because he was the one that told me about that. So, so when he when he told you about it, like you were talking about, in order to be inoculated, you have to give the information and then you have to give an explanation for yes, the information. So, anyway, well, I mean, I remember thinking at one point, well, sure, Joseph Smith had, uh, you know, the, the rock was like an iPhone. He was, oh, reading, okay. he, was, he was reading off the, you know, we don't know. Yeah. Technologically, yeah. The, all of the, that's the whole thing is, is is it technology or something the we are the the scientists are the magicians of the past age i mean we everything we are surrounded by magic now right right we, things come through the air and appear on a screen and on our right. phones you know? so anyway and be, besides being a liberal english person where you you believe multiple things at once like there is no true interpretation of of literature or knowledge of it's you know, it's right. Also or there can be multiple. There can be multiple. So it wasn't a problem. Yeah. And um, my grandma is a a child. She's passed, but she was a child of a polygamous family of of three wives, and always told us that there was never a harsh word. Okay. Believe that. But you know, yeah. I read a lot yeah. of you know, when it's when it's there, when it's all around you. So it wasn't until so. But I always clung to the fact that. But, you know, our marvelous mind expanding doctrines that, that they teach. So we, we have more of the truth. We're not better people than the other people are. That we have more. And I realized that that these things are just uh, cobbled together from things are, that were around Joseph Smith at the time and that he added upon and, and how wrong he was about things. And, right. you know, I just it just all of a sudden, though, like I, I explained to you earlier when we were talking um, I, there's a point, right? And the people right. call it self, but you have all this cognitive dissonance, you carry it all around and who knows what's going to be that final. Yeah. Figure. And it was his, was reading his book. Yeah. All of a sudden it, and it was a sudden shift in my paradigm, yeah. in my insight. And all of a sudden I'm like outside yeah. at the church from the outside and thinking, wow. <laughs> Interesting. And so, and what I love too is, there wasn't like a, um, neither one of you have resigned your membership there. You know, nobody's got a picket sign in front of a building. You know, Charlie's not standing in front of BYU going, you're teaching false doctrine. No. You just are living your life and you both decided to just back up and kind of go away. And, and where do you um, like as grandparents, when it comes time to say set a grant baptize, does Charlie stand in the circle? Oh, um, no, they they know. No, our they kids know. I mean, we we drink coffee, we drink okay. alcohol, and they don't have a problem with like grand. in front of the grandkids. Don't drink coffee well, or. Um, well, so I have, my oldest daughter is very nuanced, and she has uh -huh. four of our grandkids, and so she listens to all of the feminist stuff she has her master's you know she have they read his book yeah i think they have yeah okay interesting yeah. but you know it's different yeah for, i mean she she doesn't she's 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 like the the new order yes of that. i think i think there's going to be a big change in the word of wisdom in the next few yes, years they, I, they, I, yeah. they, they take what you know yeah she does have a son who just got back from a mission and of course he is all gung-ho he's at byu yeah but he you know when you're a grandma, I mean, I, yeah. his name is Gabe. I just, uh, I remember my grandma, she drank postum and. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was, was kind of 
out yeah. there a lot of she was extremely racist which yeah. i thought was terrible you know but but you know it's grandma you just yeah. like oh yeah so i yeah. think well, gabe sees us but i hope so i'm i'm well, i'm sure we're not we don't threaten him at all no and, um, that you know that's so funny i remember when we when my mom and her five sisters well there were five girls so four sisters uh they finally they finally mended a relationship that had been dissolved for 40 years because my mother would not shut up about the church. She was determined to, to baptize everybody and the, to show them that she had the truth. And so, you know, after a while, her sisters and her three brothers, they were like, please just, and so the relationship, anyway, they finally reconciled. We're, we're together back in, in Missouri and we went to McDonald's and my one aunt who was a member of the church um, ordered a decaf coffee mm -hmm. and I remember going oh <laughs> you don't understand how this works you can't even the appearance of evil you know and it was just in post them you know and I remember my mom drinking um I think I mentioned this in one other podcast we, we drove into Chicago to go to an authentic Chinese restaurant and my mother ordered green tea because mm -hmm. it wasn't black tea mm -hmm. and it was okay and I just remember being so embarrassed yeah. that, you know, that they didn't understand how the gospel worked, you know, but yeah, well, it, is, it is a problem. And it isn't, you know, you're othered when you're in the church that even though, you know, you, 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 you think you're broad minded and you try to be, but I remember this was even when my third son, he, he lived in Washington DC, he lived in Arlington, Virginia for um, six years and um, going into a Starbucks, you know, oh, it's because my I think my daughter wanted some hot chocolate or something. My daughter in law, I mean, yeah, and, you know, you just you have this walking into a bar, into yeah. a coffee shop. It's just, yeah. you know, you just feel wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's that appearance of evil. You don't well, you don't want people to think you might be getting coffee in there. Right. But also, I mean, I knew I would meet anyone I know in Washington. <laughs> That I'm, that, I, that, yeah. that I'm a Mormon, but you, it's this otherness, like yes. this otherness, which is, it's, it's, it's not right. And no. I, those are the things that, that, that um, I hate the most, I guess, is when the church says, you know, we are the one and only we have the, yeah. have the that's, that needs just to get out. Of well, and I, what I thought was really um, kind the only of way, the covenant path is the only way. <sighs> no. <laughs> well, in the ping pong, it's the ping pong. If you go back and listen to conference, um, it would see, well, it would have been April conference. Yeah. Just April, just the difference. It's six months, April mm -hmm. conference to this October, you have, President Ballard, Elder Ballard, you have poor President Nelson. I don't know what that evil thing was. And a lot of these other going back to we are the only true church. We have we are the only ones with authority. Uh, we, Joseph Smith received a vision in the, you know, in the in the grove. Just going back 30, 40 years to the way the gospel. And, and I compare that to the way it was six months ago, where they were trying to blend in more with the evangelical. Christianity. We want to talk more about Jesus. We don't mm -hmm. want to talk about Joseph Smith, but this, this one was like, we are going back to old school yeah, it was Mormonism. A, it was a retrench, wasn't it? It was a real retrench. Yeah. 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 It was kind of interesting. I, like I said, we're going to, my husband and I are going to go to the fair restore conference in a couple okay. of weeks. I'm anxious to see how the um, apologists handle the you know joseph smith translated the gold plates i'm like 
oh, poor Terrell Givens. Right now he's going, oh, crud, now I'm, what am I going to do? How am I going to address this now? How many times do we have to re, re, redefine the word translate before you, you guys go. will stop it? Anyway. Okay, well, I got, I got a quote I got to read just real quick. Yes, please. Because this, uh, this goes under my... Um, don't waste your time over the scriptures. <laughs> but I, but we're, you know that we're reading um, A Demon Haunted World in, in Rebecca Guteka's book club. Oh, okay. So this is from that book, which I thought was very interesting because it's from Thomas Paine. He's that American revolutionary guy that yeah. wrote a pamphlet, Common right. Sense, which everybody read back in the, the late 1700s. And um, he, they said he was far ahead of his time. He courageously opposed monarchy, aristocracy, racism, slavery, superstition, and sexism, when all of these were against the conventional wisdom of the time, but it said he was unswerving in his criticism of conventional religion. And he wrote in the Age of Reason, quote, whenever we read the obscene stories, the voluptuous debaucheries, the cruel and torturous executions, the unrelenting vindictiveness with which more than half the Bible is filled it would be more consistent that we called it the word of a demon than the word of God. <laughs> so true. I thought, I thought okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are not, I mean, the Bible, he's right about the Bible. Absolutely. Read that. And, and the Book of Mormon has terrible things in it. Yeah. My very, very worst part was the, in third Nephi, where just before this wonderful you know, epiphany of Jesus coming down and teaching love and kindness. If you read the chapters before that, it's, and the city of so-and-so did I sink in the depths of the sea. And this is yeah. Jesus talking. And the city of such-and-such, such, I burnt the inhabitants thereof, you know, and every, yeah. everybody. Destruction, destruction. It's yeah. like, what? Yeah. Rape <laughs> and pillage and cannibalism and everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. So yeah. You know, previous me or my grandkids. Yes. Read the Bible. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's part of our heritage. Read the new Testament, especially, you know, the first part of the gospels and, and the wonderful teachings of Jesus read the yeah. book of Mormon once because yeah, it's yeah. It, it shaped your religion. You're Mormonish. Yeah. You might not be a total, you know, I thought Rebecca's title is wonderful that she's Mormonish. Like people have always been Jewish. Yeah. Mormonish. Yeah. And, but then don't read them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's what one thing when I first resigned and my husband was a little concerned and he said, when was the last time you read the scriptures? And I said, which scriptures would you like me to read? The ones that Joseph Smith made up or the Bible you want me to read? And which version of the Bible would you like me to read? And why do you think that's going to make any difference in the church history that I'm now finding out about that? You know, the scriptures don't mention anything about, you know, the Kirtland Banking Society or Zion's the Zion's March to Missouri or the taking over of counties in Missouri. None of that is mentioned in the scripture. So that has nothing to do, but it's that if you are an emotionally based person, as your faith, if your faith is based on your emotions, then reading ether in the book of Mormon might give you some real tingly feelings with faith and whatnot. Or, or if you're, you know, I always, I, I never can remember where it's at. I'll have to, I didn't, I don't have my scriptures here, but um, my people will say, what's your favorite scripture? And I, I think it's Alma chapter 50, verse 32, where the uh, woman was beaten by mm -hmm. Tian Kum, I think it is. 
And so then she's mad. And so she escapes after he beats the crap out of her and goes and tells Captain Moroni what his plan was. And I'm like, that's my favorite scripture because that makes total sense. You know, and the poor sister missionaries are like, that's in the book of Mormon. I'm like, yeah, it's in Elma. Pick that out. Have a good time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, y- Yvonne, this has been so fun. And I love, like I said, I love sitting around your kitchen table. And I remember when you said, so, fun. so he, he gave me the manuscript and I read it and I said, well, this isn't very faith inspiring. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he was like, I'm not, I'm not trying to do either one. I'm, this is just the facts, ma'am. The just facts. the facts, you know, he's an, and engineer. I, <laughs> he's an engineer. And I love the other thing I love is I can prove to you that the Book of Mormon is true because I'm going to quote from the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm. And I'm like, okay, do you not understand that both of those books were written by Joseph Smith? So that's like saying, I can prove to you that wizardry is true because yeah. I've read Harry Potter. Such, you know, such magical thinking. And I, but I have to say, you know, to you, Renee, all those things were true of me for, you know, 30 years of my life at least. Yeah. I, I was a student, so I reread and reread and reread and, and you know, uh, all of the scriptures every right. day, right? Right, right. And, and so, you know, when you're brainwashed like that, when you're all in, and I did have uh, yeah. those feelings and those emotions. That's absolutely that's part of our, our brains, our, right. our sapien yeah. brains or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Is, is that good? It, reading, but, re, but, is that the best way to live? Is that the most? Well, and I think the problem is going to thrive the most. I don't know. I the don't. problem is, and I remember, you know, towards the end, my last few, last couple of years in church, um, I think if you don't have a lot of earthly struggles, you haven't gone through. A lot. Now, I, I listened to last conference. I know that you know, sister, I think it was sister, Wright. I can't remember if it was sister, had Wright. Cancer, only... the one that had cancer. Yeah. Sister, Wright Had cancer. I think sister Freeman has lost a son. Um, the, she's had a lot of tragedy in her family and hasn't shaken her faith. Um, so there's, I mean, there are a lot of people that go through a lot of struggles on this earth uh, and it doesn't shake their faith, but I just remember listening to um, I'm, I'm, I'm a real big one on, on God being in control of all things, you know? And so when I hear people say, you know, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer at 16, but she received a blessing and um, we, you know, we've devoted our life to um, the church because of this blessing and she has been healed and it's because of the blessing that she got. And and I always have to compare it to the people that lost their child with cancer and why is God choosing you over them? And is it because you think you have the true gospel and these people didn't and just what a horrible God that is. So I had a hard time towards the end, listening to those stories of that were faith promoting because of the good things that happened. Right. And um, you know, so that was one of my things anyway, but I love that, that Charles was just like, I'm writing this book and you're like, (laughs) okay, that's good. And then you read it and you're like, "Uh Oh, this is troubling. Yeah. Well, well, and, and, you know, we really did not have time for each other in in, in our 30 years of marriage or to, to do, you know, we did have some good family experiences, but, but I would, I would say, say no to callings, right? Take back your, 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 your control. And, uh, 
and that and the book was part of my devotion in to um but in retrospect but if we'd had more time it wouldn't have been such a thing because right. it's his hobby it's his love he, he he was actually a philosophy um he, he he minored in philosophy he taught he was a ta for he loves that yeah. so you know as yeah. a as a spouse you can't resent no that kind of thing except that yeah. i never had any time for my yeah. seriously i didn't isn't that amazing yeah a woman's work is never done a right. man from sun to sun unless they're yeah but a woman's work is never done so yeah i think that's so true and and i do hold resentment in that area because like i said when you get married at 21 you know um and you devote your whole life to caregiving and you aren't allowed to you know do your hobbies or like in your case in you know every case is different but in my case i had a a son that i had with, had constant caregiving right. so i was never able to really just say, Hey, sorry, going back to college or going to go back and get my degree. Or I'm going to go get a full-time job because I had, you know, and then I'm taking care of grandkids like you because parents are getting divorced and stuff like that. So I've always been taking care of children or caregiving in some way. Right. And so, you know, I do part of it is resentment that you had like a kind of a stifled life. And, and I find tell me if this isn't true. Do we have to do the lawn blowing right now? Can you guys, can you hear that? I've got somebody mowing the yard behind me, but um, uh, the, you and Charles now that you've left the church and you're retired, are you finding a relationship that you haven't had for the last 45, 46 well, years? Yeah. We, we were on like parallel tracks. I, I would liken us to like, we were, you know, we were pulling the wagon and we were, yeah. and pulling the team let me shut my window. Keep talking. Keep talking. But, but the problem was because we, you know, didn't have a, we didn't invest in our relationship. I think whenever we were let go, you know, they always talk about the horse team that pulls well together. But then when they're turned out to the pasture, yeah. they fight, they nip at each other and yeah. they don't get along. And so, yeah. We, yeah, when we did have these very few occasions of, we, we couldn't find, we didn't have anything in common. We couldn't find anything to do. We, it usually ended in a fight of some kind, yeah. you know, yeah. or, which is, which is sad when you think, yeah. but now, you know, we have our biking and our hiking and our, um, you know, taking care of our properties. And of course, now we have time to yeah. enjoy the children more though. Some, there's a lot of, it's not all, it's, it's, there's some really, we have some really severe problems with a couple of our. Yeah. Yeah. I know that was one of the things in the, it, that I thought was funny in the Osmond documentary that I was watching. <laughs> Donnie read Spencer Kimball came to the Osmond studios. I think it was in Ogden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah they, they're from Ogden. The Osmonds are from Ogden. Yeah. yeah. So he came to the Og uh, Osmond studios when it was first built and he blessed well, that's it. Orem. The Osmond studios is an Orem. It's oh, in Orem. There you go. They were actually born and raised when they were young, they were in Ogden. Yeah. There you go. So he, so he read the blessing that Spencer Kimball gave to the studio. Oh, okay. And then the Donnie and Marie show was canceled and they went bankrupt. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that was great. <laughs> I thought, do you put two, you know, do you, well, you know, do you see the correlation there? Well, and it's then, cognitive dissonance, right? And yeah. you, you can always find an answer to why that happened. Oh, yeah. Why that was meant to be, or blessings that came out, the silver lining yeah. that came out of that. You can always do that. I mean, but, the family part of it. They, I guess they, they worked all worked together as a family to pay off all their debts. They didn't, they didn't claim bankruptcy, but they were in debt after that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
And then at the very end, they talked, they went through each one individually and the horrible health problems they've all had. Okay. And it's it's like, you know, a heart, you know, heart a car accident, heart attack, multiple uh, sclerosis, um, mm. just really major heart uh, health problems that all of them have had depression, major depression and stuff like that. But their faith and their family is what's kept them together. That's what the message was. And I think that's true. I yeah. think that it's that's true. It, I don't think it has anything to do with Jesus, but I do think it has to do with family and love. Yeah. And right, and family and together. However, it, it it can be uniting, and you know, it can yeah. also be very divisive. If somebody doesn't have that faith, right? Yeah. Or if they're a, a like LGBTQA that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if, if you don't, the, the problem with the church is is that, and this talk by President Nelson, this latest one is is a typical example of it. If you're not on the covenant path, if you don't believe it, it just cuts families right in half. It cuts marriages, right? right yeah. in half. That's not, that, that can't be right. It, you can't. Yeah. I don't know. You, you can't. <laughs> well, and that's, that was what was so disturbing about that, especially having that talk be the final talk at the conference weekend was the uh, weaponizing yeah. of people that don't believe in separating in families. And I thought, you know, because I have left the church and I have a brother that's still active and a mother that's still active. And um, she, you know, we, we, we don't have a good relationship, but if we have ever had a thread of possibility, it's been cut off now because she's been directed by her prophet not to listen to anything I say or to even, you know, You're bother. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. I thought, but I thought I loved one of the, one of the uh, TikToks. Oh gosh, who was it? It was brilliant. They put up, um, uh, Lori Daybell, Ruby Frankie, Tim Ballard. Um, and, and they, they do the, the mouth simulation and they were like, we're believers, we're believers, yeah. we're believers. And I, Chad Daybell and I'm like, yeah, he was a believer. And look what happened because you trusted him. You yes. trusted Tim Ballard because oh, he yes. was a believer. So yeah. giving people instruction to only trust those that believe. Oh yeah. That's very bad. Yeah. Well, you're amazing. Well, we are, you're in St. George. And when you get back up here, uh, we're going to do something. We're going to get together, go out for dinner. Great. So it's a plan. Thank, thank you so much for joining me today and tell Charles, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Say, say bye. Oh my gosh. Do you not? I mean, this is what I'm talking about. The name of this podcast is she became visible and Yvonne is a perfect example of a woman behind the scenes that made their life work and the direction and the indoctrination and everything that she went through, but they've stayed together. They have a, a fabulous marriage. And I love that she admitted that it was hard, that it was hard and, and that they're building a relationship now because they lived parallel lives. How many of you have lived parallel lives? My husband and I completely parallel lives, as you said. And then after he retired, we had nothing in common. And, and his whole conversation was his life. This is what happened to me when I was at work. And these are the, this is what happened to me with this guy that I knew at work. And everything was related to his work. And um, after a while, I was like, I don't want to hear about your work anymore. I've lived 
you and your work, you know, for this many years. And so we are just now, now that I've left the church, which frees us up to do a lot of things. Um, and, and he's retired. We're getting to know each other again and building a life together again. And so when I hear conference, I forget who it was. It might've been, um, what was it? Renland that was encouraging uh, missionaries, seniors, senior people to go on missions. And I thought, uh, it's just, it's just doesn't stop. When are you going to let these two people get to know each other and enjoy each other and enjoy life? It's, there's just so many things. I'm going to be talking with um, Carrie Shirts this Sunday. I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be, he's going to be on my podcast and, and I'm going to be on his podcast. We're going to be doing a recap of conference. And I'm sure we'll be talking about some of these principles that were taught. So thank you for joining me today. Ladies, if you're listening, please stand up, please become visible, do whatever you need to do, find yourself um, and, and promote yourself and encourage yourself to be all that you can be. All right. Thanks for joining me today. Bye-bye.